Welcome to the Wonderful Leaders Podcast, a place for Christian entrepreneurs and leaders to be encouraged and inspired to grow in your personal and organizational leadership. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful Leaders Podcast with a very special guest, Dr. Lauren Pinkston, all the way from the USA today. And uh, I'm just going to read Lauren's bio. And by the time we finish this bio, you are going to be having a fresh cup of tea. You'll be on on your second drink after this. So here we go. Dr. Lauren Pinkston is an assistant professor of business as mission. She came to Lipscomb University via Southeast Asia, where she lived from 2014 to 2019. Combining community development philosophies with organic business models to bootstrap effective economy, economic change for families needing safe work. While completing her doctoral dissertation with Clemson University, she discovered business to be a catalyst for community development, especially for survivors of exploitative labor, which I'm very excited to find out more about. Laura most recently co-founded Kindred Exchange, which is a not-for-profit focus really on sustainable short-term mission strategies. Her research focus pairs human trafficking crises with business model canvassing. She has partnered as a research lead with Freedom Business Alliance and also serves part-time in the College of Bible and Ministry as a liaison between missions and the College of Business at Lipscomb. In her spare time, Lauren enjoys traveling with a family of five and growing, well, cooking and writing about the convergence of faith, culture, and justice. She is actively involved with civic responsibilities in her town of Columbia, Tennessee, and is an advocate for ethical supply chains and employment practices. Wow. Done. (laughs) Welcome, Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. I should have given you the three sentence version where I just say, feed me some curry and we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> Brilliant. That, that, that should have been the title of this podcast. Um, <laughs> so Lauren, uh, just tell us a little bit about your life and what your leadership life looks like. Yeah, well, uh, I'm still in my I'm in my early 30s, although I am I am actually expecting a little boy. And so my doctor use the words geriatric pregnancy the other day and I was very offended. Um, really? But yeah, apparently at 35, that's, that's the new geriatric pregnancy age. Right. So yeah, so I, I will not be offended for long, but um, I'm still learning and growing. You know, I, I told someone yesterday, I think my twenties were a time where I was really trying to put a finger on who I was, what were my skills, where, what did I need to learn about the world and myself? And now here I am in my thirties and I'm scared about how much I learned in the last 10 years. So goodness, I mean, there's so much more out there to learn and more ways to develop. So I'm really finding my way through my leadership style now and, and wanting to surround myself with really strong people who will continue to teach me, um, give me an opportunity to hone in more of my skills as I lead people and find out what it is that I don't know yet <laughs> so that I don't do any harm to, to the teams that I do. Uh, I'm lucky to have. Amazing. So, I mean, um, you've achieved and, and, and done a lot, an incredible amount in education for, for, for a relatively, you know, for, for your age and for a relatively short time period. But one of the things in the, in the top end of the bio is you came to Lipscomb University via Southeast Asia. So how did you come to be in Southeast Asia, then reverse that? How did you end up at Lipscomb University? 
<laughs> well, I always knew I wanted to live abroad. It was, I think, in my blood from the time I was a young child and was fascinated by the fact that people across the world could live such different realities. And uh, I think in, inside of me was always this quest for truth and, and understanding, but I felt that there was so much more about the world that I didn't understand. And if I was going to dig my heels in and say, this is the way we do life, this is the way that is right. I needed to make sure that I had exposure to people who thought and, and lived completely different than I did and wanted to be exposed to that. So outside of my undergraduate study, started pursuing uh, a, a trajectory that would help me to live abroad. And so I picked up a man that I thought would move overseas with me and, <laughs> um, and, and we were able to grow our family um, while we were there and it's and it was a great great experience um definitely something that has continued to impact our kids and um we still work through that daily but um no i'm, I'm thankful that, that that opportunity was open to me because i know a lot of people don't have access to that type of exposure amazing so some of your children were actually born in southeast asia they were. I, I wow. took a nine-month-old with me, and then we actually adopted from Uganda um, in 2016. And so, and then my youngest was born in Bangkok. Um, so, my all three of my current children were born on three different continents. So, I'm thinking about flying to Greece maybe in March and having this one in Europe. I don't know. It feels it would feel unfair <laughs> to him. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And then back, then to Lipscomb University, and and yeah. and kind of into sort of you know some of those formative parts of education what what do you do there and how does that how does that play out yeah well we were wrapping up our time in in southeast asia i i knew that that time was coming to a close through a painful experience and through also just seeing that my family needed to be more stable and have one place to call home and so during that time there was a prayer i, I remember where i was standing and i um and i felt like I loved working with the students that came over to volunteer with us. I loved working with Gen Z and I loved their fire and their passion. And so I knew I wanted to be connected with them. And I remember asking the Lord, you know, that day, like, give me a vision because I am heartbroken over leaving this lifestyle. Um, I'm heartbroken over leaving this part of the world. Wasn't really thrilled about coming back to the U.S. And he gave me someone's name that worked at the university where I work now. And I knew of this person, but we'd never met. And through a series right. of events that I did not construct myself, found my, myself on a Zoom call with this person um, a couple of years later. His name is Rob Touchstone. He's the director for our Center for Business's mission here at Lipscomb University. And I, I'm telling you, the doors like opened so wide and so hospitably to invite me here as an adjunct and then a semester later as a full-time faculty member. And I got very lucky in my mind to be here on a campus that really does combine forward thinking with, with a, a deep-rooted sense of faith. That's amazing. That's brilliant. And we're going to dive a little bit more into that later on. Sure. But just kind of, so I suppose you picked up on it a little bit already, but that kind of cross-cultural experience and heart that you've that you've developed over the years how's that kind of impacted us both shaped you personally and has it impacted your leadership now has it had an impact on the lens in which you see the world or, or the way in which you live, live out your leadership sure I've learned that I'll speak to American culture specifically but we are we are 
quite closed off in, in the way that we open our lives and our experiences to others. And uh, I, I think back to a time I was in Kenya in 20, I think 11, and uh, a Maasai a village chief had asked me to give him a ride on a motorbike, which I had only learned to drive a motorcycle like uh, two weeks earlier. I didn't tell him that because honor, shame, culture, I, you know, I was like, ah, are you sure you want to ride this motorcycle with a white woman from America? Um, and, and I hit a, a mud puddle <laughs> and I threw him off the back of the motorcycle and it was, awful and I felt terrible and um and watching how he responded to me but watching how he continued to welcome me into his his village and interface with the women who were there in a beating circle and and just sitting and learning from the way that community functioned I I knew that there was something I needed to learn about hospitality there was something I needed to learn about honor and the way that I honor people around me uh, that was not something that was baked into my person <laughs> growing up in a very individualistic society. So, you know, same stories out of Laos in the way that um, that I was welcomed there. So being back here in the United States for sure has caused me to open my eyes and say, this is a this is an American holiday. Who are the immigrants in my community that don't have access to American culture? They're living here. They live among us, but they have not been invited to live with us. Um, those types of experiences really changed me because of how I was treated and made me realize how, how closed off I had been to other people and their experiences before. Well, that's really interesting. What was the spot that you ignited your passion for, for missions and to travel? How, how does a young lady from America end up in all these places? <laughs> well, I'm from a small rural town in America. That makes it even funnier. Right. Uh, but I, I loved when the missionaries would come to to present at church and they would wear weird clothes and they would always like introduce themselves in a, in a different language. And it just, I don't know, it just fascinated me. So I told my dad when I was 12, I was going to be a missionary. And he said, um, that's fine if you live down the street from me, which now I realize there's just as much of a mission field <laughs> right in my backyard. Right. And, and I have a lot of I have a lot of feelings about the word missionary now um, because of stigmas that go along with that and how we've misused, misused that, um, that calling, if you will. Um, but um, I, yeah, I think that was just planted in me growing up in a, in a family of faith and seeing how other people were carrying out their faith in other parts of the world. Amazing. And, and then sort of reverse that question really around the whole area of business, you know, that's become a real area of focus for you now. How, how yeah. did how did that sort of that passion ignite in that area? Also, I was running away from that right. most of my life. I come from a long line of business people. And I thought that if I pursued business, that God would be very unhappy with me. If my life was all around spreadsheets and, and profitability, how could I be a person that was pleasing to God? I had to be a missionary. I had to be poor. I had to, you know, be be miserable in order to be a good person of, of faith. And so, uh, God's funny. I, I majored in education in college, my first degree. And I was like, well, I'm going to be a poor teacher and then I will be holy. And <laughs> then I married a medical doctor. <laughs> and, uh, so I was like, well, we're going to, but we're going to be a missionary medical. He's going to be a missionary medical doctor. We'll still be poor. And then a church offered to completely fund our entire <laughs> livelihoods, our, our salaries, our benefits, our working needs while we were overseas. And and we never suffer, we never asked for a dime of support. And wow. eventually through paying some pe wonderful people to listen to me talk and counsel me through uh, just faith constructs, realized that 
wealth doesn't necessarily necessarily uh, define your faith or your lack thereof. It's what you do with the resources that are at your fingertips. And I realized that I was always going to be a person who had resources. I, I was born into a social network of resources. And if I continued to try to bury those, I would, I would be disobedient to what was possible um, and, and it and expanding the borders of the kingdom. So I, you know, studied international development and went to went to Southeast Asia and was trying to do all the things that everyone told me to do offering uh, microfinance loans. But I was in a communist country where, and working with women who had come out of exploitative work situations. And just like most people in the UK or in the United States don't want to be entrepreneurs, 7% or less than the population wants that responsibility and that right. stress. Uh, of course, women who are coming out of situations where they've been exploited and are in a, in a government system that they can't, they don't feel they can trust where their money will be protected. They didn't want to be entrepreneurs either. And so they said, I want to go to work every day and I want to be treated well and I want to go home with money to care for my family. And I realized that it was time for me to be the entrepreneur and and be a, an ethical boss, someone who would take them uh, and give them a, a noble, dignified job to do. So that pushed me into the world of business. And now after seeing its immediate effects, I am completely sold out for the, uh, the very quick response that we can make in the world of justice to be people who provide safe work uh, to, to families all over the world. That's fantastic. Um- Really interesting insight there. So you almost try to run away from the provision and the network <laughs> and the kind of resources that Lord had given you right. in order to do the Lord's work. But then he's called you back into that environment. And that's really, really interesting. I, I think that's, a, that's a, a great bit of insight. Now, you, you know, we've, we've spoken already about mission, business, education, family. I mean, you've got a lot of plates we've spun in, 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 in a relatively sure. short time frame. What have been some of those kind of big hurdles you've had to overcome, particularly around that leadership and that development and that growth piece? What have been some of those hurdles along the way? Yeah, I'm going to speak as a woman here and, and bringing in my experience as a female, specifically in the church and in, in circles of faith. Uh, I grew up in a pretty traditional faith circle where women, the role of women was always contested. It was uh, the women's issue. It was called of what do we do with these ladies here that (laughs) want to serve the church? And for most of my life, that was sit down, be quiet, cook something and teach the kids. And, And I really, really struggled knowing my place because my spiritual gifts are very masculine in nature. Uh, And I wrestled with God for years. You know, why did you screw up when you made me? (laughs) Why could you not have made me an Enneagram too that bakes really good cookies? Like I, (laughs) that is not me. And um, so I really, really did struggle through that identity of asking God, you know, who am I supposed to be? And how can I serve the kingdom as a woman if my gifts are so masculine? So I I called a great mentor and she said, uh, this was while I was living overseas. She said, Lauren, you need to go find you a good German woman and hang out with her. And that is, she's going to be your model, not your traditional um, American missionary who's stuck in the fifties. And, and that was really helpful for me. Um, She also took me, uh, she said, I want you to be quiet, stop doing anything and just read through every story of women in in scripture that you can come across and find out what it is God wants to teach you. So, um, you know, when I read about women driving tent 
pegs through people's skulls and meeting King David on the side of the mountain to beg and plead on behalf of her people. Um, I, I did find myself in scripture and found that I could be pleasing to the Lord with uh, with a bit of fire in my bones and that, that was going to be okay. So I, I really think that that was a, a big, a big shift for me. And then stepping into the business world, we can talk about that, but um, you know, walking into a room of mostly men and, and making sure that my voice and my ideas are heard has been, has been a challenge. And it's led me to being fired from positions that I, where wow. I spoke up on ethics issues that I believed about and, and been hurtful at times, but um I don't know. We have to pave the way for the next, the next women coming behind us. So it's wow. definitely been, I would say gender has been one of the things that has been a, a, the biggest challenge for me, for sure. Wow. That's really interesting. We're going to come back to that because yeah. I think, I think, you know, we, we, we kind of, there's a real power in your testimony there and the things you've walked through. I want to segue the question slightly. Um, Tell us a little bit about Kindred Exchange, because you recently just co-founded that. And I know that that's kind of, that's part of the conversation we're having here. So just, yeah, tell us yeah. a little bit more about that. Well, I was convinced we didn't need any more nonprofits in the world. And that's why I was, I was so geared towards business. Um, but the more that I lived and worked in, I'm going to continue calling it missionary spaces, because I think that's language that we understand. I, right. I never called myself a missionary while we were overseas. But um, when we talk about modern missions, and we talk about the way that we approach cross-cultural relationships, there has continued to be so much uh, imperialistic ideas around the way that we we do this. And I remember sitting in a meeting with uh, an, an organization I had worked with abroad. And we were saying all the right things. You know, we are partnered with these nationals. We are uplifting these nationals. If I hear the, the word empowerment one more time, <laughs> you know, we are, we, we had all the right language and we had handed all of these responsibilities over to nationals to lead the, the business that we were working in, but we were not paying that person enough to afford an air conditioner in their one room home. Wow. And I, I just had a really big, problem with the way that we were placing stress and expectations on people, um, but we weren't living equitably alongside of them. And, and I didn't feel like I could have an equitable relationship with my coworkers that were nationals if I was able to come in and order a $7 meal and they were eating pho out back, you know, it just, wow. it didn't feel, it didn't feel right. And uh, so, you know, bringing those questions up, those were not always appreciated, but I, I it led me to this. I, well, I've always been questioning the way that we do missions from the time I was in college, and you know, seeing seeing teams that I was on pointing cameras at everyone in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. It's like, mm, like, are we here to to uh, treat people like uh, we're asking them to pose for our Facebook profile pictures, or are we here to really learn something from the way that they do life? So, in all of that felt like it was time to create a space where people could ask honest questions about the way that we've done missions traditionally, a place where people could not be, they wouldn't be criticized for questioning. They wouldn't be criticized for asking hard questions, but they would be welcomed and 
they would be guided through a discovery process of ways that we can be true to our faith, but also true to our communities and to our neighbors, even if those neighbors are across the world, speak a different language and have a completely different worldview. And that's what we're trying to do with Kindred Exchange is, is be an education resource for churches and businesses and nonprofits that are working cross-culturally to ask those questions and come with better solutions at the end of that discovery process. That's quite a challenging mission. <laughs> yeah, got... I, t- I tend to put myself in the most challenging. I was going to say, I'm, I'm building up <laughs> a picture here that you're quite, a, yeah, I mean, that is a real challenging mission because you're really deep diving into the, I suppose, the ethics around mission and how we do what we do. And I suppose almost challenging a lot of the why as well. In the sense of, you know, we know we know what missions is all about. We know what we do and we know the programs and we know how we, we market it and communicate it. But you're going into the centre and asking some, some fairly, um, fairly tough questions. And, and, and how does a kindred exchange kind of um, ecosystem work? Do you, have, do you have events? Is it one-to-one? Do you work one-to-many? How, how does the kind of programs look with, with you? All of those things. So right. this, this fall, we actually have a cohort we're teaching through uh, all kinds of conversations around mission fit, business modeling, sustainability within your business. How are you making sure that what you're building can be sustained by national leaders? If you were a foreigner, um, finances, branding, all the things, um, storytelling, ethical storytelling about what you do. So we have a cohort we're working through with that right now. So we alternate whole group and one-on-one. It's been fabulous. And next year, we're going to focus on Ugandan nationals. Uh, So we had several Ugandans who approached us and said, hey, can we get the same thing you're offering these, these foreigners? And of course, that's, you know, what we would love, love to see develop. So we're restructuring our programming a bit next year to be able to offer a 10 month training. And will, we will actually travel to Uganda next December, barring any COVID scares and offer a, a graduation ceremony there for, for those individuals. We also have a conference each summer where we equip small groups or churches to come around these conversations and we're developing that curriculum now. Last year, we, we talked about the ethics of short-term missions and what the future of short-term uh, cultural exchanges should, should and could look like. Brilliant. And is Kindred Exchange sort of bringing, bringing you into the sort of the, the present? Is that where you live out a lot of your, um, I suppose, heart and passion for business alongside what you do at the university? It does. It helps bridge that gap really nicely. And right. we, we didn't expect to be a business consulting uh, firm or agency or nonprofit. But honestly, that's what we need. And I think more people are catching on to the reality that a business relationship can be a lot more authentic and honest and and comfortable than strictly a a discipleship relationship where I have no reason to be approaching you other than the fact that I have a Bible and I want to put it in your hands and write right. back home about these great baptisms. You know, we want to, we want to promote sustainably long-term relationships with people that we're not just investing in their spiritual lives, but we're also investing primarily into their physical needs and, and understanding their culture and investing into their communities. Brilliant, brilliant, love that. And, and and maybe just in what you've just said there might answer my next question, but as a kind of assistant professor of business as mission, which is just brilliant in itself as a title, and, and I suppose in your coaching work with startups and not-for-profits and churches, I mean, what are some of the kind of key 
opportunities that you see to make for businesses or not-for-profits to make a positive impact, particularly in the current climate? You know, there's so much, there's, yeah, I mean, there's so much being deconstructed right now, politically, socioeconomically, right. you know, within the church. You know, what's, what, what's, what's on your heart at the moment? What are you seeing happen at the moment? I'm very motivated by authentic connection. Uh, right. We are we are great at manufacturing connection online, but that authentic connection is something that we are all craving right now. And so to be able to see that happen, not just you know within our immediate circles, but to happen truly cross-culturally is fascinating and really exciting for me to watch. Um, I also, I've read a lot of international development philosophy, uh, learned about what a lot of people think about it, but I'm, I'm very motivated by the thought of those of us who have a heart for the developing world to not just take over suitcases of expired medicines from our home countries, to not just take over suitcases of used clothes that are actually robbing people from jobs, and in my mind, robbing the economy of development, to say, we're going to we're going to put our money behind what we say we're passionate about and we're going to take our money with us and we're going to inject it into your communities by purchasing directly from artisans by spending money in the countries that we're traveling to and i wonder what that would look like when when we're able to to inject direct capital into people's lives rather than walking around with handouts feeling really good about um having a type of savior role in their lives <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> and very challenging am i going to am i going to get kicked off the podcast <laughs> no this is this is i always say that to our guests that we have no angle we have we're not trying to unpack it but what you've just said there is both extremely challenging and um i think a much needed message and i think excellent and, and, and what i'm loving about hearing your story is just that golden thread of just God's justice and righteousness running through mission and business and cross culture. And it kind of, it's really rich, you know, he's been able to see, see through a lens of all of those things, business, leadership, you know, mission, but actually say, well, what's God's best in this rather than what we've we been doing for the last however many years and what do we think is the right thing. And I really love that. And that kind of, it segues onto my next question, which you kind of, um, You've shared a, you know, a really powerful, you know, sad but powerful personal testimony of just some of your experience as a female leader in business. Look, taking a step back from that, and I suppose looking at the the lens which with which you look through cross culturally, but specifically in the US as well. What are some of the opportunities that you see for for women in leadership, for for, for women leaders to? To, to maybe to, to, to go the step further than you've gone or do you see there's an opportunity? Do you still see those same challenges? I'm trying to be positive here. I'm saying what sure. opportunities you see. But yeah, where, where do you stand on that, you know, as we, as, we, as we talk in 2021? Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying that I'm married to a man and he's wonderful and he's, he is not at all threatened by women. I'm raising a, a little boy um, who hopefully will be a man that that honors women and and I am surrounded wow. by men in my workplace who have been incredible at welcoming me in, um, but that was not the experience that I had for the the largest part of of my upbringing and, and entrance into the professional world, um, and so I, I do find that men are in a really tricky place right now. I, you know, seeing 
seeing the men that I work with, can I open the door for you? Are you offended by that? I don't know. Like, at what what's your level of feminism? Because you're giving me strong feminist vibes, but I don't know where you are. You know, so just <laughs> just just the road that men are walking now, and and having to ask, you know, and what am I bringing into the room when I walk in? And I appreciate the 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 struggle that 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 is currently. Um, I I do see that when women are in leadership and when women are in in places of influential power there is a general sense of of bringing a practical lived experience into the strategy of the way that we design our businesses and the way that we design our workplaces because women who are working are also and I'm going to generalize here this doesn't mean for every woman but women may be able to work full time but that also means that they are shopping for the groceries, cooking dinner, and making sure that their families are organized so that no one forgets who's supposed to be where for what appointment. And families are still adjusting to sharing those responsibilities at home. But for many women who are working full time, they are also juggling all of those things still at home. And so that that is a challenge. And And I think that's why it's powerful to have women in leadership, because they're able to say, you know what, if this person wasn't working so many hours, they would be able to make sure that they were, had time to work with their child's project for school. Or maybe you need to have one less hour of, of work or two a week. What is the maternal maternity leave look like um, for you? And, and asking those questions so that families can continue to run in an egalitarian space because I don't think workplace policies have caught up quite yet to making marriages able to do that. So um, I think that's one important thing. And then just their ideas that they've been sitting around at home thinking about for so long. They are problem solvers because they've had to be resourceful in their own networks. And so um, I love how connected women are. I love how good women are at at building bridges and and even talking about things that are really hard. Um, So I, I do think that any business who diversifies their leadership is going to be more successful just because you're bringing more ideas and more lived experiences to the table. Brilliant. No, thank you for that. That's excellent. And just, just kind of drilling more into, into get back into your personal journey, you know, you've had a rich and fairly varied experience in, 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 a, in a number of different leadership contexts and environments but in your personal life, what are some of those leadership keys that God has given you? You know, when, when, when you know, you, 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 you hit a roadblock and you think, okay, I'm, I've got this key. This is going to unlock the door. What are some of those keys that you have in your own life? I think the first one is curiosity. Uh, right. Inquisitiveness will take you so far. So sitting at a table and nodding um, without asking why will never get you to the next step and will never help you solve problems. Uh, And so just being curious and asking, why do we do things that way? What's the purpose behind this? What's the context? Um, And, and always asking what if, you know, that, that curiosity will, will definitely lead you to the next place. I think agility as well, um, being able to be flexible and, and question and realizing that what is true for me right now um, in November of 2021 is not going to be true for me a year from now and will not be true right. for me five years from now. So keeping an agile <laughs> um, uh, expectation. And uh, the last one I'd say would be uh, generosity. Um, how do I share my resources with other people? How do I connect who I know with with people who need to know those people? Um, how do I be super generous with 
not just my finances, but also with, with my human capital resources, um, because those always come back to, to bless me too. That's not why I do it. But when people know that I genuinely invested in them as, as an individual, as in their personal development, um, that always, that always comes back um, because those, uh, Jay Jacob calls it the economics of mutuality, um, but, but really, really paying into relationships and social capital is key. Brilliant. No, that's excellent. Uh, and, you know, on your journey, in fact, not even on your journey, this could be, you know, past, present. What leaders do you look up to or and what leaders have you learned from? So it's going to, well, he's going to be upset when I say this is a boring answer, but I, I really have learned so much from my husband. Um, we are polar opposites right. in personality, and that led to lots of really fun conversations <laughs> the first 10 years or so of our marriage. I mean, it still makes it quite funny. Um, <laughs> uh, if, do we have time for a two-minute story? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, when we were, when we had just moved overseas, uh, I had been kind of in the throes of, of research that day and had, had actually driven through the red light uh, district in town and had prayed over that part of town and came back home. We were, we were like month seven in country and had just only been doing language study for the most part. And, and I came back and I was like, we, ha- we are not doing anything. We are living in this house, in this country. We have all the food that we need. There's no one sleeping on our couch. There's nobody eating soup in the corner. What are we doing with our lives? <laughs> and I was so upset. And, you know, and he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and he's like, I am doing something. I moved here. And I was like, I, I literally looked at him. This is so embarrassing, but I said, "Do you even love Jesus?" Oh. Like, it was not my not my best, not my best time. Um, well, he's. Are you an Enneagram person? We can we yes. talk? Enneagram? Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. So, so he's an Enneagram nine, and like a good Enneagram nine, he walked to the next room and just left me alone because we're gonna jet away from conflict. And I'm an Enneagram eight. If you haven't picked up on that, and I'm like conflict disconnection, fight with me. And so uh, we didn't know this in our marriage at the time. <laughs> Would have been a great to have. And so I followed him to the next room. I said, I just need you to, I just need you to talk to me. I said, I wish that I could light a fire under your butt sometimes. And he said, (laughs) he said, Lauren, I'm too busy putting out all the fires you've started. (laughs) (laughs) I know it was such a great comeback. And I just spoke to my heart and it put me in my place. And I was like, that was, that was good. That was a good one. (laughs) And I realized that day that like, man, we are all created so uniquely to fill a different role in society. And as a leader, I need to be looking for what the skills are of the people around me so that I'm not trying to make them like me. I'm not trying to make them more, whatever that I, I value, I want to see what it is that they have that I don't have that are going to really better my, my team, my organization, my business, whatever it is, and pull that out of those people. And so he's challenged me in a lot of ways, but I, I love his leadership style, but I, I've learned so much from him because he's had to hold me to the fire on so many things. Well, that's brilliant. On the Enneagram, I'm a type eight as well. And, okay. my, wife, and, my, and my wife is a type two. Oh, wow. She's so lucky. She got to be a woman, too. It's like my goal in life is to be a, a two. <laughs> oh, oh, don't. But, but the eight and the two in, in, the, in, the, in the unhealthy version of ourselves. Oh, yeah. That's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The unhealthy, yeah. If you want to talk about this off air, we can, yeah, we can, we can do a deep dive. <laughs> well, I think, I, honestly, I might, we might have to because, in fact, my wife is now looking to become an Enneagram coach. Because my husband 
same too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well. Like, how do we live with eights and keep our sanity? <laughs> do you like... think it could be what it is? Your <laughs> husband know. and my wife have to live with eights, and it could be that. That could be it. Honestly, because it's been, I mean, it's been so, it has genuinely been really helpful for our marriage and really yes. helpful to understand each other. Because, like you right. just said, my natural reaction to things is, is an activist and is very direct and is very, and the right. two wants to be perfection, get it right and, 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 right. and please you. And she, I'm not, I'm, I know, I'm angry with her, but I'm not angry with you. I just said that thing directly. And right, yeah, right, yeah, right. I'm just trying to share that. my heart. Yeah, all yeah, yeah exactly. I'm just trying to share my heart. But then I sound like, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, wow. I mean, like, you just don't know how strongly you said that. <laughs> he, <laughs> says, he says that I'm a pressure cooker and he's a crock pot. So it's like, it's just a very different, you know, <laughs> approach to life. I feel like we should get your husband and my wife together. They could just have their own session to talk about yes. living with a type eight. <laughs> That's got to be your next season on the podcast. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh, that's fantastic. But yeah, okay. No, I, I, I can get that. I get why, you, yeah. Her husband that's living with a type eight, you looked up to him. He, he's taught you a lot. Because my wife yes. has teach me a lot as well. Definitely. Yes, yes. Definitely. That's good. That's good. Are, you, are you a reader? Do you do you learn? Because you're obviously a great... Um, you know, you're great in education. You're a real thirst for for knowledge and and, and insight. But do you, do you like reading? Does that does that fuel you? I love reading. I really love audiobooks now. With right. I'm on a commute for two hours every day, so I've kind of given into the audiobook uh, world. Um, and I love podcasts. So the the that's been my main with with small kids right now. That's that's my main intake. But Yes, my my commute every day for two hours is what can I learn? What can I soak up? Mm-hmm. Right, fantastic. So last question as we come into land, you've given us enough of your time and I've, I've loved this. I've loved this um, episode with you and um, we need to take the Enneagram question or conversation <laughs> off air. But looking back at your life and your leadership journey so far, what's one the one piece of advice? There's always lots been given ourselves, but what's that sure. one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Fail forward. Don't be afraid of failure. You are going to make loads of mistakes, but make sure that when you fail, you are failing forward so that um, it's getting you to the next level of understanding people, understanding yourself, understanding the world, understanding what's next. Um, So for sure, I would just say, don't be afraid, um, fail forward. Brilliant, brilliant, love that. Just before we go, if I or any of our guests, listeners from the US, UK, further afield, are listening to podcasts, they want to connect with Kindred Exchange. Is there a website or a yeah. way of getting in contact with you? Sure. We're at www.kindredexchange.co uh, online. We are Kindred Exchange on Instagram, just at Kindred Exchange. And, um, and I'm personally... Uh, on Instagram at upwardly dependent is my my handle right now, and don't plan to change it. <laughs> I don't know why I said right now, and um, yeah, would love to. And, and if anyone can teach me how to speak like a Brit, like the really good British accent, because I've heard that there's different All accents sorts. that are respected. Yeah, so I if I would I would give free coaching to anyone who could coach <laughs> me to speak like a Brit. <laughs> So real knowledge than us there. Americans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that sometimes. No, brilliant. <laughs> Dr. Lauren Pinkston, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me.
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. To be part of the community, join our close Facebook group and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Simply look us up at Wonderful Leaders and we'll see you there.